Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, and welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This episode is part of a weekly series called Franchise Fridays in which every Friday, we have an episode dedicated to helping you create freedom by owning a franchise. My family has been in the franchise business for over 45 years. My brother and I took over our family's franchise auto repair business and grew it from six locations to 30, now doing over $36 million a year in sales. You know, It can be overwhelming when you are just getting started learning about franchise ownership. Buying a franchise is a huge investment of time, money, and energy. And to help teach you, I am launching an introduction to franchising group coaching program to teach everything I've learned over the past decade of starting, buying, scaling, and selling franchises. Go to brianbeers.com to learn more. Today, I'm going to be talking about how to perform due diligence on a franchise. Now, buying a franchise is a huge commitment. You are spending $100,000, $300,000 or more to invest in a location. You are possibly taking on personal debt and you're dedicating and committing to potentially 10 to 20 years. So it's, it's a big deal. And thorough due diligence is critical. You need to have confidence in two things, the horse and the jockey. So the horse, aka the business model. Just because someone's business model works for them in their market doesn't mean it's going to work for you in your market. You need to vet the business model. And to do so, there's three things you want to look at. Number one is demand. Number two is sales. And number three is expenses. So first, demand. Is there demand for the product or service in your market? So let's say you're looking at a premium boutique fitness concept that targets upper to middle income consumers who shop at Whole Foods, Starbucks, they work out at other boutique fitness concepts like Orange Theory and Pure Bar, etc. So if you live in a market that does not have any of those premium stores, chances are there's not enough demand. And this is something that the franchisor should really help with. You know, when you're going through and looking at markets, they should be able to show you, you know, what their target demographic is based off of, you know, age or income or competitors or whatever it is, and show you how the market is a perfect fit. Or they might show, hey, like there should be a big section on their map that they're saying this does not meet our demographic requirements. And if they don't, and they seem to be pushing like whatever's convenient, I mean, that would be a huge red flag. You really want them. And for you to get the best return, you want to pick the market that has the best you know, demographics that match the model. So you want to be really careful and have those conversations and look at the mapping and when you're going through ensuring that there is good enough demand. You also want to make sure that the market isn't oversaturated with competitors. I mean, having competitors is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we have auto shops that are right next to a whole bunch of competitors. And in a lot of cases, it's beneficial to us. 
On the other hand, let's say you're looking at a waxing franchise in Miami, and it may look great from all those demographics. But if you find that there is like a competitor in every single strip mall up and down the, the coast and the road, and you know, it may be hard for another one to come in there and compete. Right. So you really want to make sure it's not oversaturated. And, and that's something that, you know, the franchisor can help with, but also, you know, you have to look at it as well. The second thing I look at is sales. And it's really like, can your market support the prices that the franchisors, you know, recommending or you're you're getting some sort of guidance on in using the financial models? So let's say you're looking at an auto repair franchise and you determine that you need to charge $150 per billable hour in order to hit your financial targets. So how would you validate that? So let's say we're looking at Midas and we're trying in a new market. How would you figure it out? I would call up all my other national brand competitors. So I'd call up Firestone, Meineke, Mavis, Monroe, NTP, even Big O Tire. And I'd, I'd call them up and I'd find out what do they charge per hour. And let's say they're at 140 to 160. So if I want to be 150, I'd be right in the center. I'd be okay about that. I'd also call dealerships. I'd call Toyota and Honda, Ford, GM, you know, major brands, um, popular brands. And you know, you're, they're usually a premium. So I would expect that they're coming at 180, 190, 200. That would, that would be good because they're kind of the step up. I'd also call independents. So I'd look at Joe's Garage, Bob's Tire, et cetera. And I'm expecting them to be a little bit lower, you know, 120, 130, 140. And if all that kind of shakes out, I'm going to have confidence. If at 150, I'm going to be right in the center, right kind of where I want to be. You know, and you can justify charging a premium price if you can deliver on premium service and create value, but that's a high bar to set. And, you know, if you find out all the nationals are 120 and dealerships are 140 and indies are 100, like, you, I might be concerned if if my plan has to put me at 150, like a dealership level right off the bat. So you really want to look at your prices compared to competitor prices and not necessarily be the best, not necessarily be the cheapest, but hey, are you in the ballpark is, is what I'm looking at. Finally, it's expenses. So how do the expenses in your market compare to a financial mar- model? If you're in New York City or Miami or Philadelphia or like a major metro, it's going to be different than if you're in you know, Mobile, Alabama, or you know some smaller tertiary markets. And so let's say we're looking at a low-cost food concept, Subway, Aussie Bowls, Donuts, whatever. And you need labor to come in at $15 per hour for your like frontline staff to keep your per- payroll percentage you know, in line with the model. And so what you do is you go through Indeed and you know or other you know job posting sites and you want to see what our competitors offering and if you see a whole bunch of posts that are in line at 14 15 16 dollars an hour you're probably pretty good if you see a lot of posts offering 18 19 20 21 to work at similar places you might need to rework your models and to take it a step further go ahead and post a fake job ad see how many applications you get talk to a couple of them you need to really determine how easy or difficult it is to find an employee the other thing you want to look at is the rent factors. You know, let's say your or fast food concept here needs a thousand square feet, class B, so not like the highest end, but like you know, a step down, and they need it at twenty five dollars a square foot. And you, so you got to research the rental market. You can check Crexy and LoopNet, and you can call up some local com- commercial realtors. Just ask them like, what does it cost for a thousand square feet in class B area, and you know this neighborhood. And they're going to tell you, they they usually know the numbers off the back of the head. So if, hey, if they're 22 to 27, you're in the ballpark, probably good to go. If they're saying, hey, that's going to be $40, $50, some crazy numbers, 
you know, cost cost you double, right? You need to work that into your financial markets, right? You've got to do all this to validate that everything that you think, you know, makes sense. So in the second part of this, so that's the horse. This is the business model. Then it's the jockey. So it's the leadership team who's driving this thing forward. And the question that you need to answer is, does the leadership team have what it takes to support you in building a profitable business? They're not going to do it for you. This is your business. This is your investment. But they need to provide you support. They need to provide training. They need to provide guidance. They need to create these systems and processes that you can plug and play. That's why you're buying a franchise. So in order to vet the leadership team, there are three things that I focus on. Experience, their personality, and the support. So experience. How much experience does the leadership team have? How big is their team? You know, is it a one man show or, or have they surrounded themselves with other high caliber people? In emerging franchises, the leadership is most likely the founder of the company. He or she has built a successful business and has now decided to scale it via franchise. So how long have they been in business? I'm going to have a lot more confidence in someone doing it for the last 10 years and now they're franchising versus somebody who started this business 10 months ago and now wants to scale it to 100 units. Now, in legacy brands, the leadership team is often not the founder. For example, in Midas and Taco Bell and all these bigger brands that have been around for 50 plus years, you know, the founder has, has long gone and they've hired, you know, seasoned C-suite executives who have worked in a variety of different industries and brands. And these guys should have a pretty solid track record of experience, even if they're relatively new to the brand. The other things that I take into account are, um, do they personally own any locations or franchises? So a lot of times the founder of the franchise still operates the original location and that's good. Or sometimes you'll even see other people on the leadership team. Maybe the head of franchise development like is a partner in a bunch of units. Like that's a really good sign if they're putting their own, you know, money behind it. I also want to look at how many units did they open and are like currently operating versus how many are sold. And if there's a huge discrepancy, like, you know, there's a, there's one that I look at that, you know, has 20 units open, it's got 150 sold. So it begs the question of, okay, well, you sold all these units. Why aren't they open yet? And then you come to find out uh, that, you know, it's a real estate thing, right? It takes three months to find it. It takes three months to develop it. And then it takes three months for some pre-sale. And like, it's a nine to 12 month operation. So yeah, we sold a bunch and every month, you know, we're opening 10 new locations and, you know, it's kind of chugging along. And so that's a good sign. I'd be like, okay, that's fine. But then if you find out, well, like, you know, our construction team has to do all the constructions and they can only do one a month, whatever it is, like there's a bottleneck in the franchisor due to lack of support. I would be very concerned, right? If they only could do one a month and they have 140 before they got to get to me. Obviously not really the case, but you want to know that ratio and you really want to find out what is holding the ones that are sold back from getting open. A lot of cases, it's a real estate related issue. But to have those timelines in place, you know, you're ready to get going as soon as you sign this franchise agreement, and it might take some time if it's you know if it's real estate. The other thing you look at is legal issues. You know, a franchisor is required to disclose past, current, and pending you know lawsuits in the FDD. But sometimes I've heard stories that they don't disclose everything they're supposed to. This is another good reason it's good and you want to hire a franchise attorney to help you with the due diligence process. So they can help verify 
that they didn't hide anything. You know, they can s- search other, you know, legal databases and 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 you know resources that they have to see is there something missing. They also can t- go through the franchises uh, agreement. They can see and point out things that you didn't necessarily see or realize. And sometimes it gets into some more legal league, um, you know, content that I'm not going to get into this episode. But a good franchise attorney is always a good investment when you're doing due diligence on a franchise. And then next, so we, we cover experience. Next thing I look at is personality. So it's like, do you like them? Uh, a franchise is a 10 to 20 year partnership. You need to have a warm and fuzzy feeling about the leadership team. You need to feel that they authentically want to see you succeed, that they are responsive to your questions, that they are sharp, that they know the business, and that they are not just trying to sell franchises, collect fees, and then move on to the next one. So when you are going through the discovery process, you're going to be working one-on-one with someone on the franchise or development team. And that could that person is one, has one of three roles. They could be the founder. So this is common with the newer newer and smaller franchises, but the founder is the one selling it. He's, he's honestly the best person, he or she. But once the founder reaches kind of capacity, they usually hand it off to a third-party company. Uh, this franchise development company are experts in the franchise sales process and walking candidates through, educating them, you know, setting up the calls, the validation, like it's all they do. And so a lot of times they outsource it to one of these companies. And then once they hit a certain size and they're selling a certain number of units, it makes sense to move it over to in-house corporate employees. So larger franchises can afford, you know, full-time in-house sales representation. And it's important uh, because you really want to know who you're working with, especially if you don't like them. You know, I talk to a lot of people uh, on the franchise or side, and there are some franchise development guys who, you know, I don't know, I, maybe I, there's a personality clash, right? Maybe it's a tone of voice, maybe it's locality or where they're from. And so, you know, you really want to know who you're working with. And, and it would be a shame if, you know, a personality issue completely turned you off to a great opportunity. And this is why. Kind of that's important. So, if it's the if it's the founder, you definitely want to pass on it. So you're talking to this guy and you're just button heads on personality, and you think this guy's like a jerk. And he's the founder of the company. You get out of it, right? Don't don't spend any more time. If it's a third party company, you know, once you like make it through the franchise process, you will never deal with that person again. You know, they're kind of an outside sales third party. You know, but once you kind of sign the FDD, you get handed over to the operations team. And that operations team are the people that you are going to be working with throughout, you know, your your tenure with the franchise. So it's it's always important to meet those people, and and it's almost always part of the process. You'll meet leadership, you'll meet people from operations. You really want to make sure you like those people because those are the people you're going to be working on a day to day basis. And similarly, with in house corporate, you know, a lot of times the person that you're working with is only in sales, and that you get handed off. Uh, to operations. And so once again, even if they're part of the company, you know, and if you don't like them, or if you really like them, you know, a lot of times there's distinct roles and you're handed off. It's my my main point here is just if it's the founder, you want to know it because that's the relationship that you know could be pretty strong. And finally, cover support. So we covered their their experience, we covered their personality, and finally support. So does the franchisor have the ability to support you in building a successful, profitable business? You are buying a franchise to turn decades into days, which requires a lot of training initially and ongoing support as you build the business. So you really want to get clarity around the initial training, 
that ongoing training, in-market training, all this stuff that they say they're going to provide. And every franchise is going to tell you that they provide excellent training and excellent support. And, and many of them do. But as part of the due diligence process, you need to verify all that by talking to other current and former franchisees. More on this in a few seconds. The second thing I want to look at is what is the relationship between the franchisees and the franchisors? And there are a couple signs of a great relationship. Newer franchises may not have all set up, uh, which can lead to the question of, you know, are they open to the idea? But this is what I look for. Like, does the franchisor seek input and ideas from franchisees? You know, franchisees are the ones who are in the field every single day. They make it happen. They know the challenges. They see the opportunities. And a good franchisor will get those ideas and they help put them to use. The other thing I look for is, do they have a system in place for franchisee to franchisee communication? It could be a simple WhatsApp chat, an email distribution list, a Slack channel, something that you know on an ongoing, on-demand basis, people can communicate. I look for a franchise advisory committee or a FAC, as they're called. Basically, corporate gets together with the top franchisees on a regular basis. They work together to move the business forward. Great sign if they have it. Annual conference. Most franchises have an annual conference to celebrate success, network, and have fun. They also will host regional virtual meetups on an either monthly, quarterly basis, cover marketing, training on a specific topic, or anything that's beneficial. And finally, second or third generation franchisees, you know, in legacy brands that have been around for 30 plus years, if you're seeing second or even third generation franchisees, it's a good sign that the business lasted long enough to pass it down to the kids. So obviously not going to apply with newer brands and newer industries. But if you're looking at a legacy brand, you see that, that that's good to see. And so the final step here is validation. And so this is where you're going to validate everything that you've learned from the franchisor by talking to current and former franchisees. And the franchisor will help facilitate this by giving you contact information. And you can also pull it from the FDD. And a big red flag here is if they only want you to talk to specific franchisees and tell you, do not talk to this guy, this guy, or this guy. If they're telling you that, uh, could be a red flag. You're definitely going to want to talk to the people that they said not to talk to and go from there. So in general, the process, uh, if I'm going to do validation, it looks like this. So I get the, I get the, I get the emails, I get the phone numbers. I, I contact them via text or email telling them, Hey, I'm looking at this franchise. I was giving you information. I was hoping to talk to you for a few minutes. Never call the location and ask to speak to them. Don't expect them to drop everything for you. Don't expect every single one to talk to you. You want to call people outside of your target market because they could see you as competition. If someone called me asking for Midas shops in Philadelphia, New Jersey, I'm going to, I'm going to direct them to a, a different uh, business, to be perfectly honest. Um, give them background on yourself, right? Make them like you. People like talking to people that they like. And the more they like you, the more information they'll likely tell you. And take everything with a grain of salt, the good, the bad. Right, you don't really know the intentions, right? And it's 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 good to talk to as many people as you can to establish a baseline. And so, I have a whole list of twenty plus questions. I'm not going to go all of them here, but overall, your goal is to really get an idea of you know the franchisor, the support, the advertising, the marketing, the sales, uh, the margins. You know, you can ask them about profitability. They had to do it all over again. Would they do it again? What else should we know? I mean, there's lots and lots of questions. I have 20 plus questions. Um, if you're talking to former franchisees, you really want to find out what their biggest challenges were. Why did they exit? Were they forced to sign an NDA, which is a bad sign? You know, are they sharp or do they sound like an idiot? I've talked to some former franchisees 
who did not sound like they should be running businesses and they, they didn't have success. And right. And so, uh, take those definitely with, with a grain of salt. So anyhow, if you're looking to get access to this list of, of 20 plus questions, sign up for my coaching program. I provide this, I provide 20 plus questions to ask the franchise or, you know, I'm developing this program to help everybody learn everything I wish that I knew when I was getting started. So you can go to brianbeers.com. You click the button, intro to franchising. I'm in, I'm in kind of the pre-launch stage now and we'll be getting this thing off the ground pretty soon. And so that's all I got. You know, it's a, it's a partnership. Franchisors need franchisees way more than franchisees need franchisors. There's over 3000 franchises to choose from. So if you're getting like a slimy feeling about a franchisor, pass on it. Find something else. There could be another franchise competitor in the same space who has an excellent team, a very similar business model, and it could be a perfect fit. So if there's anything I can do to help you on your franchise journey, please uh, reach out. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn and anywhere else on social. Until next time, cheers. That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 